My first car was a 1972 Monte Carlo, uh, which fits just inside the range of, of date and horsepower uh, requirements to be called a muscle car, one of these kind of defining features of American culture that's maybe just slightly over the top. But a common problem uh, with that sort of car was that the little mount that attaches the engine to the frame easily cracked because the, the engine would torque so hard against it, something that I was totally indifferent to as a 17-year-old, right? Uh, but the thing is, my engine mount cracked, which meant if I left it that way, then the engine would move around and, and break. So if I wanted to save this, this car, I had to substitute that engine mount with one that could endure the pressure that was put against it. And now, it may not be obvious, but that, that story does have an important connection to Christ's work. Because every one of us has broken God's law and our sin has put us under God's curse. Because our sin is infinitely heinous, we cannot ever exhaust that curse, even if we suffered for eternity. Just like that broken engine mount could not bear the engine force against it without the whole car being destroyed and so needed a substitute mount, we cannot bear God's wrath against us without being destroyed. If we are to be saved, we need a substitute to endure that penalty for us. So we're looking at an aspect of Christ's work as priest, wherein we consider what his sacrifice on the cross was like and why it was required for our salvation. The traditional terms have been the nature and necessity of Christ's death. Christians might be used to hearing uh, the word atonement about Christ's death. It's a good word, but maybe you notice that this sermon's title uh, is about Christ's satisfaction. So if, if you're a turbo nerd like me and you really like our confessional standards, maybe you've noticed that uh, the Westminster Confession 8.5 speaks like this. The Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he through the eternal spirit once offered up unto God, has fully satisfied the justice of his Father and purchased not only reconciliation, but an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father has given unto him. Our confession doesn't speak about atonement, but this satisfaction. And this is relevant. I know that might seem sort of obscure and over there, but actually it's really relevant. And I want to tell you why it's important, because I think usually we might think of satisfaction as something we, we feel at the end of a big meal or something like that, when we feel, feel full and satisfied. But there's another sense of satisfaction, like when we have a debt that has to be paid, satisfied. Atonement 
relates to, to making amends, right? But, but sometimes if we think about making amends, we might think like we apologize and it's left to someone else's subjective decision to accept it. But Christ did not offer an arbitrary offering that God could have whimsically decided to accept or not. Christ satisfied our debt for sin by giving his own infinitely valuable life in our place so that we would not have to endure God's wrath. So the main point that we consider today is that Christ died in our place to endure our curse to fulfill God's justice. Christ died in our place to endure our curse to fulfill God's justice. We're going to consider this by looking at the meaning of Christ's death, why Christ had to die, and the comfort of God's just love. So, first, the meaning of Christ's death. So as we turn to Romans 3, have, have that text in front of you if, you, if you would. Paul made the point that Christ's self-sacrifice was not some arbitrary attempt to make things better between us and God, but was God's own method of saving sinners while preserving his own righteous character. In contrast to Romans 1, 18 to 320, which was entirely about how, as verse 20 summarized it, by works of the law, no human being will be justified. In contrast to that, our section of scripture this morning is about how even though you cannot be a doer of the law to be saved, God has determined to save those who believe in Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul said. In verses 21 to 24, right? If you will look at those verses with me. Now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. No distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because we are sinners, we cannot stand right with God by our deeds. And so God, who is rich in love and mercy, offers redemption in Christ Jesus as a free gift of grace. The lingering question there, though, is... How Christ redeems us, buys us back from the curse upon all who have broken God's law. That's the question. How does Christ redeem people? And verse 24 tells us, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We thought about in past sermons, the the way that faith saves us by being the thing, uh, that rope that binds us to Christ, who is our salvation. 
which we see here again is the way that we receive redemption in Christ. But but what does it mean? So just want to set that aside, having already thought about that. What does it mean, though, that, that God put forward Christ as a propitiation by his blood? What's that about? Propitiation is is a big word that, that simply means a sacrifice that appeases, satisfies God's just wrath for sin. So Christ is that appeasing sacrifice. Paul put it a different way. In Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. See, he said the same notion of redemption here simply means that Christ endured the penalty that is to be cursed by God for us. Charles Dickens wrote a book called The Tale of Two Cities, and it's a a novel about the French Revolution, which makes it instantly interesting to every American. (laughs) But the, the central heroic figure there is a guy named Charles. But Charles has a lookalike named Sidney, an English barrister. Charles is a French nobleman. And both are in love with Lucy. Now, in the end, Charles, the heroic French nobleman, is set to be executed in Paris because of his nobility. Despite having everything to gain by by letting his competition for Lucy's affection die. Uh, Sidney, Charles's look like, snuck into the prison, swapped clothes with Charles, and, and took his place at the guillotine. He, he didn't have a reason to, for that, except that he loved Lucy and, and knew that she loved Charles, which motivated him to be a substitute for Charles in his execution. Now, the the point of that is is that anyone who has ever committed any sin is destined for eternal execution. And if we are to escape that, we need someone with our likeness to endure the curse of God's wrath in our place. We are criminals, and we warrant condemnation. And still, God's Son, who is entirely perfect, took our likeness by coming from heaven as a human to stand condemned in our place. Now, maybe you know the phrase penal substitution, uh, which is exactly the idea that the Bible teaches here. And what, what that means is that we have a penalty, the first part, and it's owed to us for our crimes against God. We are criminals against our universal high king, and we are owed a penalty. But Christ suffered that penalty of God's fiery wrath for us, in our place, as our substitute. Isaiah 53, verse 5, describes the Messiah this way. But he was pierced, for our transgressions, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, 
was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So the nature of Christ's satisfaction, its meaning, what it means, what it is like, was that Christ suffered our punishment in our place. And now we want to think about why that was necessary. So second, why Christ had to die. Why Christ had to die. We've seen that Christ died as our substitute so that we would not be lost for eternity to endure God's wrath. And in this point, I want to think about two necessities, two of them for Christ's satisfaction. So the first, why God's Son had to die. So emphasis on why it had to be God's Son who died. And second, why God's Son had to die. Why the death part was necessary. Now, the point to give you the summaries, that only an infinitely valuable life could endure the curse for infinitely vile crimes, rebellion against God. So the second half of verse 25 contains one of the most important things that you need to know about God's character and Christ's death. This is unimaginably important. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. We should consider, by by way of application here, how, how this asks us to examine how we think about God and how that shapes the way that, that we think about the world. So, so we have a problem, even in the church, in that not many people are properly worried about God's righteousness, His justice. I would guess that most Christians have heard the objecting question about how could a loving God punish someone in hell forever? If He's loving, how could God do that. And we miss a major truth about God by not asking how could a, a just, a righteous God reward criminals? God's justice is at stake in forgiving sinners because the just God will by no means Clear the guilty. Exodus 34, 7, Numbers 14, 18, Isaiah 65, the list goes on. How often do we worry about God's justice instead of trying to slant eternity in our future by smearing God's other attributes into reasons why He has to love us and celebrate us just the way we are? So God's righteousness then tells us that, that God is just, but we, but we can be really specific about what that means about how Christians should think about the world. There are things that are objectively right and wrong, and God has made the world so that you, God's people, should hate injustice. 
God's righteousness means, you should have a problem with the way the world is. You should have a problem with things like sex trafficking because it is despicable that someone would sell the image of God into coerced subjection into immorality for their own insidious gain. You should have a problem with that. It is an offense to the righteous God and it should be an offense to you. And yet... That's somewhat easy to hate that. But our sin is also grievous and an offense to God's justice. We would not consider the law enforcement officer righteous if he or she ignored the crimes that were committed right in front of them. We would not consider the judge to be just if he or she acquitted even the most obviously guilty traitor. We would not even consider the parent to be wise if they let their children get away with whatever they wanted. We should not think differently about God. Someone had to die because your sin deserved death. God had passed over former sins, our text says, meaning that he had forgiven Old Testament believers, but sin's wages are death. And that wage cannot be remitted. It has to be paid. So God's righteousness was at stake in Christ's work. I imagine some of you have at least heard the suggestion that God could have forgiven sin without Christ's death by by simply a, a sheer act of his will. He just decided to forgive. But that does not match God's character or the testimony of Scripture. Mark 14.35 tells us, right, that, that just before Jesus was seized to be crucified, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. God's own son put every right for every one of his prayers to be answered. God's own son prayed if there were any way to rescue sinners other than by his death, the father would use that. And the father sent him to the cross. No other way was possible if God wanted to save sinners. Romans 8.32 He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Not sparing tells us Christ's death was necessary. It had to happen if God were to save us. And so Christ had to die. It was Christ who had to die because our sin is so evil, so grievous. Each sin is a 
cosmic act of, of treason against the endlessly majestic God, which makes each sin an act of supreme and inestimable rebellion. Only hear this. Because this is about worshiping your Savior. Only an infinitely valuable life could endure the penalty, the curse upon infinitely heinous sin. God's life alone is that valuable. It had to be God who offered himself in our place so that the person who died in a human nature was important enough to bear the force of God's curse to satisfy God's justice. Now think about that for a second because this points us to how amazing, how beautiful, how valuable our Christ is. Think about that. A few hours of bearing the curse on the cross was the same as you bearing the curse forever. Think about how amazing, how majestic, how glorious, how righteous He must be if that's the case. Forever, endless suffering condensed to a few hours because Christ is that important. The necessity of Christ's death was because of your sin. So let's think last about the comfort of God's just love. So right, we've seen we've seen how Christ died in our place and that he had to die to satisfy God's justice. Now, although the emphasis uh, on our sins, weight, and depravity can feel really negative, I get that. The reality about God's justice actually helps us to see the depth of God's love for us. I've emphasized that God is just, so someone had to die for our sin, and it's important that we know that God is just. As a point of application, it's also important that we know that God is not simply just, but He is also merciful and loving. His immense love for you is the reason He put Christ on the cross. Someone had to die for your sin. It could have been you. But if you are a believer in Christ, God was not going to let it be you who died for your sin. He struck and afflicted His own Son so that He could shower you with grace. He broke His under the law's curse of death on a tree so that He could reward His former enemies with eternal life. As verse 26 tells us, God was not content to be only just but he wanted to be just and the justifier. 
God would not and could not let his character be tarnished. He is just. And so he did punish your sin. But God set out to justify all whom he would call to faith in Christ. So he punished your sin in Jesus as he died to bear his Father's wrath for all of our crimes. That brings new perspective to 1 John 1.9, doesn't it? We've quoted it already. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Just as God need, just as God needs to satisfy justice for our sin, at the same time, God's justice ensures that He cannot turn you away if you have repented and trusted in Jesus Christ. He has to receive Jesus' death for you as a believer because Jesus actually paid for you. And justice cannot exact double payment, especially when the just God has promised otherwise. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I hope that you see that the penalty for your sin remains to be paid God laid his people's sin upon Christ. But if you do not believe, then the threat of hell lingers at the edge of your very short life. But God bids you to come to his son. Flee to Christ and cast yourself in faith upon the Savior for mercy. God offers you the forgiveness of every sin right now if you would trust in Jesus. Christian, I hope you see the immensity of God's love for you. How, how many of us would give our own children to rescue our worst enemies? But God has done exactly that. The cross is God's testimony to you that he will never leave nor forsake you. Christian, because his son was forsaken for your sake. Take shelter in the cross whenever you might fear that God is displeased with you. Because God nailed his son to that tree so that he would be pleased with you forever. That is our beautiful Savior. That is what he has done for us. He has given himself to satisfy God's justice so that he could have us for eternity.
Let's pray. Father God, we have contemplated majestic, glorious things that we cannot exhaust. These things are far bigger than we can comprehend. But give us a glimpse of the glory that is embedded in these truths. One of these non-negotiable, central pillars of what it means to be a Christian that Christ died for us. He has paid our penalty because you wanted to have us as your people. Help us to rejoice that we belong to you. Fill our hearts with delight at the thought of your infinite love that you have given to us at the same time by upholding your infinite justice. And you have done so all in your Son, the magnificent Jesus Christ, whom we run to now for forgiveness, for salvation, for holiness. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen.